on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. We recap the 3-0 weekend down in Cary, North Carolina, and look ahead at this week's slate of games. Plus, we talk to Hudson Belinsky from Baseball America about the Terps and the upcoming MLB draft in June. Also, we chat with Tyler Blome, the freshman left-hander, well, about a little bit of everything. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the 27th episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Jake Eisenberg here alongside Justin Galanti. And, well, if you're listening, it means it's Tuesday. And, well, the Terps have their home opener this afternoon against William & Mary. First pitch scheduled for 2 o'clock, and MBN will be live at 1.30. So be sure to check it out. But today we're going to recap the weekend that was. It was a fun weekend down in Cary, North Carolina. Three wins for Maryland. They're now 4-5, and five, and it was three convincing wins as well. The Terps put up 24 runs on 30 hits. And, well, the pitching was good, too. Yeah, it was a huge weekend for the Terps to really get right after a rough start. Like you said, the pitching staff was very good. The main part was the bullpen. I mean, they got good starts from Schaefer and Bloom and Blome. But on Friday against Notre Dame, Miller comes in, Hill comes in, and Selmer comes in. They don't give any runs up in a couple innings of relief of Brian Schaefer. It was big for them because the bullpen had struggled early in the season. But for guys like Hill and Miller, Selmer, Racino, all these guys to really start solidifying the back end of the game, that's huge for Maryland. We'll hear from the freshman lefty Tyler Blum a little bit later, and we'll also chat with Hudson Belinsky, a national writer from Baseball America, who was there this weekend in Cary, North Carolina, and had the chance to see these Terps up close, as I did. And, well, Sunday I got a little sunburned. We were sitting outside kind of next to where the auxiliary press box was on the auxiliary field in uh, it was a bit of an interesting setup, but it was a lot of fun. I had a chance to chat with Hal McCoy, and I'm not going to lie, it was pretty cool. He's a, he's an awesome dude. Yeah, it must have been a good time, and even better when the Terps put up 11 runs. Get a good start from the freshman southpaw, and guys like Nick Dunn get the job done, if you will. Oh, nice pun <laughs> on Dunn. Four hits, three RBIs, big day for him, and really it was just a feel-good weekend for everybody on the roster. It seemed like everybody got a big hit at some point, drove in a run, whatever you may have it. The pitchers did a good job, and now they can come back to College Park, hopefully today if it doesn't rain, and start off on a good foot at home. Well, what's what's interesting about this weekend is that before this weekend's set of games happened, the Terps were set to play that home opener against James Madison on Wednesday, and it got rained out, and you almost wonder if that was maybe a blessing in disguise because Kevin Smith mentioned after this weekend's games that there was a players-only meeting ahead of this weekend to kind of talk about the struggles that they had had. Yeah, one in five going into the weekend, but three of those games were against LSU. One of them was against Louisville, two top ten teams. In fact, now Maryland has played more games against top 25 teams than not against top 25 teams, and that's by design. But, you know, I think that game being canceled, I think that's a gr it was a great thing for Maryland. Absolutely, and fun fact for you, Teams I in love e fun facts. Teams in every sport are actually undefeated after players-only meetings. <laughs> but in reality, <laughs> there's no doubt. The Terps had a very tough schedule to start the season. And to have basically a week to get your mind right, get focused, you come back, beat Notre Dame, beat a really good NC State team, and then take care of Dayton on Sunday, I think you cannot discount the fact that, look, it's early in the season, so you de didn't necessarily need the rest but mentally, you could use a week off from what's been a tough start. I want to focus on the Notre Dame game just a little bit because that was one that Chef said 
was really important for this weekend. It was the way that they won it that made it important. It wasn't just that they, they got out in front and won. They would have won 2 nothing had that bottom of the seventh not occurred. But it was that they were resilient and came back, and that carried over into Saturday where they steamrolled NC State, the number six team in the country, and uh, brought that into Dayton, which he said was a trap game. And I think that's really important to point out is that, you know, the Terps easily could have just ended up losing 3-2 after that bottom of the seventh inning with, you know, only two more times coming to the bat. But they came back and they capitalized on some mistakes by Notre Dame, ended up getting the RBI single from Brandon Gum and the sack fly from Danny Maynard. Absolutely. The Terps could have laid down, like you said, but they didn't. It's tough. Your starter, your ace, Brian Schaefer, goes out, gives you a great afternoon, six innings of work. He is winning the whole game. And then some errors in the seventh, and that happens, and you're behind. But like you said, they showed the resiliency, come back. And yes, Notre Dame did make some mistakes that were, frankly, costly and cost them the game. But Maryland did have That's to take That's why they it. were costly. Yes. <laughs> but Maryland did have to take advantage of them. And losing a game versus winning a game like that can turn your season. Because the Terps can look back and say, we had a really tough schedule, but now we're playing teams that we know we can beat and we are beating them as opposed to there goes another one. We're going to start feeling bad for ourselves. We're playing the number six ranked team in the country tomorrow. That's going to be really tough. But they didn't do that. They came out, came back, beat Notre Dame, smoked NC State on Saturday and had no trouble with the Flyers on Sunday. Well, what's interesting about both those games against Notre Dame and NC State is that they're both ACC teams and you might notice it more with NC State because they're, you know, your classic ACC team. But Notre Dame is still going to play that ACC schedule that's a gauntlet. So RPI-wise, whether they win a bunch of games or lose a bunch of games and they're not off to the best start, Notre Dame is still going to have a good RPI come the end of the season. And for the Terps to have a win over them at a neutral field is going to help them in the long run, especially, you know, once resumes are submitted for the NCAA tournament, maybe not as much as a win over NC State. And what was pretty much a de facto home game for the Wolfpack, I mean, that was probably the most complete game that Maryland's played all season. They didn't give up a big inning for the first time all year. They didn't commit an error for the one of the first times all season, first game since Ball State that they didn't commit an error. You know, they put up nine runs on eight hits against the number six team in the country. That, that says something. And they showed that they can compete with anyone. And going back to what you were saying about the ACC, yes, it's March 6th, but it's never too early to talk about that RPI. The Big Ten, top to bottom, is not viewed as a very powerful conference around the country. So for Maryland to pick up wins against NC State, Notre Dame, that will help them in the long run if they're forced to try and get a at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, right now Michigan's the only team that's ranked in the top 25. The new rankings that were released have the Wolverines at 24. It's interesting you bring up the Big Ten and RPI because currently Michigan State is number two in the country in RPI. And that's, have you looked at that schedule, That's though? because their schedule is a bit soft at the start, and they've won all their games on the road, and that helps out the RPI a lot. So that'll fall off as the year progresses, as will the other kind of RPI people, or teams, I should say, that are kind of near the top, you know, teams like Charlotte or Bethune-Cookman or, you know, Wright State, not necessarily going to stay in the top 20 of RPI, but that's where they are right now, which is why it's important to say it's very, very early in the season still. We're only three weekends in, so there's a lot of baseball yet to be played, but I think this weekend for the Terps was a huge stepping stone forward. You finally got a chance to really see what this team is capable of, um, and, I, and I pointed this out last week after the LSU series, after Maryland was swept. Now, the last time Maryland was swept by LSU, they won nine straight games. Well, 
we're a third of the way there. They've won three straight. Right. So let's just mark down six more W's on the schedule <laughs> and then get ahead to April after spring break. <laughs> spring break. Let's see. That would be William and Mary and St. Joseph's, a sweep of Bryant this weekend, and then a win over UNC at UNC in the midweek on Tuesday. That'd be a pretty good six games to sweep. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Right. But I was thinking about this yesterday. Think about the whole season, right? Maryland comes in ranked in most major polls, Big Ten favorites, all that stuff. You look at who they've played. Ball State, Louisville, Alabama State, LSU three times, and then Notre Dame, NC State, and Dayton. There have really been only two surprising results based on ranking, quote-unquote. The loss to Ball State and the win over NC State. So, honestly... You would have expected them to be four and five right now, and it's better to be four and five on a three-game winning streak, playing well, than up and down roller coaster, whatever it may be. A good time now as ever to go to our first guest on this podcast. We had a chance to catch up with Hudson Belinsky, a national writer for Baseball America, who focuses on the major league draft. He was down in Cary, North Carolina, this weekend and had a chance to see all of the Terps firsthand, including some highly touted prospects like Kevin Smith, Mike Racino, which huge radar gun party for Mike Racino. They they all crowded into that area, so it was kind of fun to see. So, Hudson, I guess, uh, what were your first impressions of the Terps this weekend? All right, well, it's, it's, it's hard to hard to be unimpressed when a team goes out and wins three games the way they did. Um, you know, I, I thought that the team was actually really well-rounded, uh, at least this weekend. I thought they played, in general, they played pretty good defense. Uh, they're, uh, the guys they had on the mound competed. Um, through strikes and filled the zone. And, uh, you know, I think offensively they showed some flashes as well. So uh, is it uh, midseason form yet? Not quite, but you can definitely see the potential with this club. Well, I think a lot of one of the things that some people don't realize when evaluating Maryland is that they've now played more games against top 25 teams than they have against teams that aren't in the top 25. So do you think there's something to be said about playing that level of competition and maybe the results not necessarily showing over those first two weeks? No question. And, and the, the challenges that they have uh, early in the season, I, I think are going to prepare them for the long term and, and down the line when you start to get into conference play and they can have a little bit of experience and uh, – experience against good competition, I should say. And, and not that they don't have that from years prior, but uh, to have that under your belt and, and kind of understand where you need to be to compete at the, the highest level, uh, I, I think is a huge advantage for them going forward. And uh, you, you've seen it this weekend. They stepped up and beat some good teams. They're, um, you know, the, the beginning of the season is, is always going to be a challenge for, for teams and as they figure out, how to best utilize their lineups and their rotations and who's going to step up and who's going to be a little bit better than, uh, than maybe we realize and, and who's maybe not going to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, I think that if you, you, you come into the season and, and say they're going to be at this point three weeks in, I think you got to be satisfied with that. Now, Hudson, I know you focus a lot of your coverage on prospects and, and the major league draft. So I want to dive in, with you a little bit on that because there are a lot of draft eligible guys for Maryland coming up this June but before we get there I think it's important to kind of go through the process of how these guys are evaluated not just for me who doesn't know too much about that but I think I'll for everyone who's listening just to kind of give an idea of how you take a look at different guys how you project them forward yeah so it's um it's it's a complicated process uh that's the the first thing I'll say (laughs) the (laughs) 
the uh, it really starts with these guys in high school. Uh, you know, as you know, high school players are eligible for the draft and can be selected and consigned out of high school. So um, there's uh, you know there's there's that part of it where you're going and you're evaluating these kids in high school, and then as you uh, you know, oftentimes students good high school players and end up in college, and so you'll you'll follow them in college and keep an eye on them until they're draft eligible again. Um, you'll watch them at their college, but then you'll also watch them in their collegiate summer leagues, and you'll you'll basically piece together the puzzle throughout the year. And uh, as, especially in the a player's draft year, you'll start to bear down on that player a little bit more. Um, teams will be gathering information constantly. Um, you know, teams are looking for all sorts of psychological and medical information, and you know, some really in, intense uh, kind of research that they're doing on these kids. Um, but you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a grind. Um, you know, there's just, there's so many players and, and you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're giving everyone the the right amount of time, um, and devoting the right amount of looks, um, to each player around the nation. So there's, there are, are some challenges to it. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a pretty unique and intriguing process. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the players make it really a lot of fun to cover because nine times out of 10, these kids are, are just superhuman beings. And they're, you know, they're not just on the field, but off the field that, you know, you see a lot of kids who really have a lot of passion for the game and desire to improve themselves. So it's, uh, it's really cool to see that kind of stuff. Now you touched on evaluating guys in, in summer leagues, and I guess that's a good a segue as any to talk a little bit about Kevin Smith who is one of the high, most highly regarded prospects coming into this season. You guys at Baseball America had him as the 12th best prospect in the Cape Cod League, had him 21st in the top 100, and the best prospect in the Big Ten for 2017. What did you see from him this weekend uh, going forward? Yeah, so I think it was actually a really good weekend for Kevin Smith in terms of him finding maybe a little bit more confidence and, and kind of uh, seeming to – to find a groove a little bit here is that, you know, his numbers weren't quite there uh, in the first couple of weeks of the season, but you saw this weekend, he gets a, he gets a couple uh, ground balls that, that turn into singles on Saturday. And then on Sunday, he's finding the barrel consistently and, you know, hitting doubles and looking like the Kevin Smith, we know he can be um, offensively. That is defensively, you know, that's going to be his bread and butter. And, and that's, um, he's a pretty special defender just in terms of his actions and his footwork and his, just his pure fielding ability, um, his ability to throw from various angles and throw off balance and, uh, just his internal clock. And, and you saw that with one of the plays and I think it was the fourth or fifth inning on Sunday, uh, where he, he gets a ball up the middle where he needs to really hustle to go get it. And he, he feels a tough hop and turns and makes an off-balance throw and beats the runner by a step. And and that, those are the kinds of instincts that you don't really find very often. And that's, that's sort of what makes him unique. You know, offensively, you know, he's going to need to continue to perform. Um, and and that's something that I'm sure he's well aware of. But for him to get um, – make some consistent hard contact on Sunday it is certainly a positive sign, and, and you, you hope that – as the season progresses and as he starts to see the ball a little bit better and gets his timing down, uh, that that kind of stuff continues because he's certainly a high ceiling player. And and what could that ceiling be from a, from a draft perspective? 
I think in, in terms of where he might fit as far as rounds and things like that, you know, you're probably talking about someone who has the potential to go in the first day of the draft. So you're looking at the first round, supplemental first round, second round, something like that. The thing that's going to benefit Kevin is that there's uh, there aren't too many shortstops in this year's college class. There are, I mean, in terms of guys who are pure shortstops who figure to stay at that position in the big leagues uh, down the line, there's only really a handful of guys who fit that description, uh, and he's got a chance to, to prove himself to be one of those players. And if he's if the teams are comfortable with uh, his offensive ability, and he certainly has power, it's just a matter of, of quite how much that power is going to be able to play with the raw hitting ability. Um, but if he goes out and proves himself, he's you know he's got the chance to go in the first round. Now another guy who was pretty highly touted coming into this season was Mike Racino. You guys had him as the best overall prospect in the Cal Ripken League coming out of this summer and after he was drafted by the Giants last year. Only got a chance to see him on Sunday, but, I mean, it was it was a party behind the play with all those scouts and all those radar guns. So, I mean, what do you think he kind of proved this weekend? Yeah, the, um, you know, it's going to be a little, it, it's a pretty different story from what you're, you're talking about with a guy like Kevin Smith, but it's, um, you know, he's got some pretty big arm strength and showed you a quality breaking ball on, on Sunday. And uh, he's just a unique player with, with all of his history and start coming to Maryland as a position player or two-way player and uh, ultimately making the decision to make the transition to be a, a pitcher only. Um, you know, the other day it was – Sunday it was 92-93 for the most part um, with some, some zip on his fastball. Uh, but, you know, that's another thing. Early in the season, you're kind of looking for uh, different things. And, you know, is, is he, he's clearly not going to be – he's not at where he's going to be mid-season. This is a guy who's got the potential to throw in the mid, mid to upper 90s uh, with a, a pretty good breaking ball as well. So, uh, you know, it's a, it was a good early season look to see him come in and striking guys out and competing with his stuff in the zone. Um not necessarily having to get um, to throw his pitches out of the zone and get hitters to chase, but able to come in and compete while throwing strikes. Um, so those are good signs. Um, you know, relievers are a little bit harder to pinpoint as far as the draft goes. Um, but I certainly think you, you mentioned the, the crowd of scouts behind home plate. I certainly think that he's on everyone's radar at this point and that he's got uh, potential to, to prove himself a little bit and continue to elevate his draft stock. That's a nice pun you there using the uh, using the word radar for Racino. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think about it. Unintended. Well, maybe maybe another guy who's maybe not on some some teams' radars, but ought to be, might be Jared Price, who's been you know a little bit injured over the past few years, but was drafted out of high school by the Mets, and now is coming back pretty strongly here in, in his fifth year senior year. Uh, he hasn't allowed a run yet so far, and he's got a pretty heavy fastball as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's when you're you're looking at a big big physical guy with some arm speed and and some strike throwing ability. You know, with with uh, older players, it's it's a little you know it's a little bit more uncertain as to where those guys are going to fit. And that with with players like that, uh, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So it's it's going to be you might not have a a player that's going to be universally um, loved or or highly thought of by every single pro team like you're talking about with a guy like Kevin Smith you know every team is is making sure that they 
figure out Kevin Smith this spring. Uh, this is a player that is, is going to be you know, followed by teams, but maybe not as closely. But it certainly has a good opportunity with uh, with as many players on Maryland's team that are draft eligible this year and are being scouted, you know, to come out of the bullpen and throw strikes and and you mentioned the heavy fastball, you know, to to show some attributes and to show some pro potential uh, on the days where scouts are out there in hordes. That's that's certainly a good thing for him and a great opportunity for him. I mean, we might as well stick with kind of the the bullpen theme that we have going here. And another guy who might not be as talked about as you might expect is Ryan Selmer, who was on the Cape this summer, so he's certainly got looked at by by a bunch of different scouts and. He's got an interesting delivery, kind of from not a not maybe maybe a three quarter slot, but you wouldn't expect that necessarily from a six eight guy. And you know the sink on his fastball really projects uh, a well with ground balls and, and things like that. So, I mean, I guess the question isn't necessarily why isn't he being talked about, but what might the conversation be about with him? Yeah, I mean he's he's pretty intriguing, and the um, you know especially when you talk about seniors or or, or players who are um, you know, who are not uh, draft eligible for the first time. Um, the uh, you you, you kind of see these guys talked about in maybe the middle to later rounds. Uh, but for me, just sitting behind home plate and watching him, he showed you some pretty intriguing stuff. And I don't think that we've seen uh, the best fastball he's going to throw yet because he's. You mentioned the arm action, and, and it's it's funky. It's it's sort of like he's not too long in the back as far as his arm swing and loading up in the back, but he's quick and, and he's, um, he's pretty simple as far as how his lower half works. And he's just funky from that low slot and he's getting fastball movement at 89 to 92. And I think he's got enough arm speed to develop a little bit more velocity down the line. And you also saw a pretty quality breaking ball from him with late, uh, late tilt. So uh, certainly looks like a guy that could have an impact um, at the next level. And, and for me, just sitting in the stands, like we see the impact that relievers can have uh, in a big league game right now, and especially somebody who's got that kind of deceptive, not only arm slot, but angle coming downhill. Um, you know, I think of this guy could be a really good bullpen guy, especially in right on right situations. Um, so he, he's, you know, especially if we're going to talk about a guy who's going to be developing a little bit more fastball. So he was exciting. It was, and it was good to see him this weekend on back-to-back days because that's something you don't always get to see for college relievers. Um, but to see him on back-to-back days and to see his stuff basically look the same each day um, was pretty important because, you know, in the big leagues, you're going to have to pitch on back-to-back days, and that's that's a big part of that role. So uh, for him to hold up, and, and basically show you the same stuff and the same command on back-to-back days was, was really huge. We're chatting here with Hudson Belinsky, a national writer for Baseball America, and continuing to talk about the MLB draft coming up in June. We're kind of running the gamut here, Hudson, with the guys on the Maryland team that are draft eligible. So I guess we'll just kind of keep going. Uh, you, got, you got this chance to see Brian Schaefer on Friday against Notre Dame, and he's draft eligible for the first time. Mm-hmm. Brian Schaefer's an interesting one as well. Um, you're talking about a, a big, big frame um, that looks like he's he's continued to pack uh, some positive weight on, getting, getting stronger. Basically, every time I've seen him, he looks a little bit stronger. 
um, last year I saw him, I think it was also the third weekend of the season uh, at the Keith and Player Classic at uh, East Carolina, and, and he was more mid to upper 80s with his fastball, but you could see the projection and uh, how he might be able to develop. Um, but, you know, on this past weekend, pitched with his fastball around 88 to 92 miles an hour. Probably has another kick in there as the as he gets the midseason form. Uh, showed some feel for his breaking ball, uh, especially when he would throw it to his glove side and kind of get that late tilt to it. Um, you know, maybe need to see a little bit more of that arm side because it, it kind of backed up on him uh, when he threw it to his arm side and was more of a more of a spinner than than a true uh, breaking ball, which he showed to the other side of the plate. Uh, so that may be the next step for him in terms of figuring out his consistency this season. But like I said, it's, it's the third weekend of the season. So you don't, you know, you don't uh, hit, hit guys too hard for, for nitpicky things like that. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about a big physical right-hander who's going to come at you downhill and throw strikes. And I thought that uh, one of the more impressive things about his, his performance on Friday night was his ability to locate his fastball just above the hands and get those Notre Dame hitters to chase that pitch. You know, that's a pitch that looks looks pretty uh, pretty good for a hitter, um, but as you start to collapse on your backside and swing uphill, you, you lose balance, and it actually ends up being a very difficult pitch uh, to make contact with. So it's uh, you know, his ability to and, – and, and the other thing is it's very easy for a pitcher to throw that pitch a little bit too high, and then you know the hitter's going to spit on it and, and take a ball. Um, you know, so that was particularly impressive from – from Schaefer on Friday was his ability to, to locate that pitch. And, and when you're talking about the, the, the mix of the fastball breaking ball, yeah, pretty good one, uh, a pretty good start for him against Notre Dame on Friday night. Yeah, certainly a lot of intriguing guys from the pitching side of things for Maryland. But before we go any further with specific players, I guess what was maybe most who, – who, what player most surprised you this weekend or stood out um, in those three games? Uh not sure if there were any any big surprises um you know I, I thought it was nice to see marty costas um hit for some power um and and i think marty costas is is a pretty good looking player he's going to be a draft eligible sophomore this year um and that's an interesting uh, thing because not many people i think realize that yeah that's um yeah that's something that would the, the rule is for for sophomores that they're eligible for the draft and if they turn 21 within 45 days of the final day of the draft. Uh, and that is the case for, for Marty. I'm not sure exactly when his, his birthday is, but he'll, he'll be 21 in time. Um, and, and yeah, he's, he's an intriguing player because he's got some definite bat skills. Uh, you're talking about a quick twitch guy um, with some feel for the strike zone and um, some pretty good idea of, of what he can get his barrel on. And even when he was, not necessarily getting hits. He was making hard contact this weekend. Um, you obviously had the, the home run that he hit. I believe it was on Saturday where he cleared uh, he cleared the wall pretty well in left field. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Costas is an interesting player. And just watching him in batting practice, he can hit the ball a long way. Um, but, yeah, Costas might have been – I wouldn't say he was a surprise, but it was it was nice to see him kind of show you some of those tools. Well, he was a surprise last year. I mean, he came in as a three-sport athlete out of Baltimore and didn't really even play much outfield in high school, but then suddenly became one of the best outfielders last year. 
led the team in home runs and, you know, is now hitting in the three hole. And I guess for a guy like him, you know, what might the conversation be regarding his, his draft stock? I mean, are there concerns with a guy who's a draft eligible sophomore or does it not really matter? Uh, I don't know if there are concerns simply because of their, their them being sophomores. Um, maybe with uh, with Costas's situation, you're going to want to see, or scouts are going to want to see uh, him maybe improve his outfield defense a little bit more and continue to go in the right direction that way. But he's um, he's pretty athletic and he runs okay uh, down the line. He's he's like a near average runner on the base paths, so he's you know by by a big you know. MLB standards. He's a near average runner. Um, so, you know, he's got some, some tools. It, it's a matter of continuing to translate those tools into game skills. And uh, maybe you don't get to see that as often with, with draft eligible sophomores, just because you don't have as much uh, history of scouting that player. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, he's got plenty of time really, and he's going to be scouted all spring, obviously. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. There's, you know, there's still quite a ways to go uh, before the draft. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Now, there are, there are a bunch of other draft-eligible guys on the Terps this year. Nick Sieri, Justin Morris, Kevin Biondic, Zach Jankarski among them. Among those guys, and I guess even some guys that aren't draft-eligible, like Tyler Blom, maybe Andrew Miller, you know, who stood out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the as far as the process goes that we talked about earlier, with uh, you know I kind of like go into each series looking at you know with a plan and like sort of treat it like triage. Like here are the, the <laughs> things I really need to. It's an the interesting analogy. Really focus on. You know, well, it's 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 it's, it's sort of how I explain it to the younger player to younger people who are, who are trying to get into this this kind of line of work is when you get to the field you want to go there and figure out the players who are draft eligible this year first, and you want to figure out the players who are top of the draft type players first. So if, if there's a, a sophomore pitcher on the mound who's not going to be draft eligible, my eyes are on Kevin Smith, and I'm looking at how he's moving and how he's positioning himself and, and kind of really trying to focus on all the little things that he does. So, you know, I do, you know, I'll take a little bit of notes on, on Tyler Bloom, uh, you know, I just think was impressive, but he's not somebody I'm going to you know, necessarily bear down on every single pitch for. Uh, but, you know, to kind of get back to answering your question a little bit, uh, Bloom I thought was pretty good uh, in, in terms of his ability to throw strikes and he's got a projectable body and fastball. And he, he showed you some ability to spin the breaking ball, drop a few hammers in there. It was a good look at, at Bloom. Um, you know, I think as far as competition goes, I think that uh, Maryland is in pretty good shape if if they've got Schaefer, Bloom, and Blum throwing strikes the way they did this weekend. I think you're you're going to be in good shape come conference play. Uh, other underclassmen, I actually thought uh, thought we had a pretty good look at Danny Maynard uh, this weekend, uh, the catcher. Um, you know, pretty good on Sunday with his ability to block the ball behind the plate and shows you a little bit of thump in the bat. Uh, driving the ball uh, deep to the outfield, so uh, pretty good look at him for for a guy as a guy for down the line. Um, you know Taylor uh, Bloom, not necessarily a hard thrower, but a guy who can fill the zone and really move his fastball and, and show you some quality off speed as well. Um, you know, there there I think that as a program, 
the Terps are in really good shape just in terms of, you know, whether it's going to be draft guys or just guys who are really, really quality college players, I think that they have a really good mix. We talked with uh, Jeremy Brown a couple weeks ago on our podcast, and he was raving about Nick Dunn, as I'm sure a lot of people are, and he had a pretty strong weekend again this year. So is he a guy, even though he's a sophomore and not draft eligible, that you pay a little bit of extra attention to? No question. And and I'm, I'm kind of bummed with myself that I didn't bring him up first because he's, <laughs> he's, he's got that really, really impressive feel to hit and understanding um, – it's this concept of barrel awareness and he knows where his barrel is at all times. And he can really, really put the ball in play with some authority. His pure hitting ability is really, really impressive. He's definitely a guy that I was bearing down on a little bit um, just to see him, he ha- see how he handled different pitches and his approach to the plate. And I came away pretty impressed. This is a guy who I think has a chance to really open some eyes uh, over the next uh, several months and, in the next year or so as, as he gets ready for his own draft. So I guess, Hudson, just to kind of wrap up here, you had a chance to watch Maryland up close for, for three straight games, saw them take on the number six team in the country in NC State, and you saw three wins out of a Maryland team that put up 24 runs on 30 hits this weekend. You know, coming away, you know, prospects aside, your impressions of Maryland as a team, you know, how far could they go this season? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how – quite how deep they go, I mean, but they are a really good team. I, I think that they have some potential to, to make some noise come the, the postseason. Um, you know, one thing about them this weekend that I thought they did really well was, was capitalizing on mistakes and taking advantage of situations uh, where, you know, opportunities were given to them. You saw the, uh, you know, the, fly, the, the pop fly in the ninth inning dropped against Notre Dame, or, and they, they eventually – you know, come back and, and, and put some runs on the board. Things like that, you know, where they're, they're, they're able to understand, uh, you know, when a team is, is vulnerable and they're able to capitalize and take advantage, you know, that, that's a, the mark of a veteran team. And, and I do think that they have a pretty good mix of, of upperclassmen in there. And when you talk about, like, guys like Kevin Smith and Jankarski and, and even a guy like Brandon Gum, you know, there's, there's a really good – mix of those kinds of players and then the younger guys the sophomores who are the sophomores the freshmen the young guys who who don't have that experience yet uh but you have that that really good mix and and i think that's a as far as a program goes that's a really good way to blend things because you can kind of have that carryover from year to year uh, and you start to build a culture that way and i think that maryland baseball is in really good shape you know with what they've done over the past few years obviously a super regional team not too long ago, uh, and and that that is certainly in the the memory of some of those upperclassmen. So, uh, you know, as as far as the team goes, I think they're in really good shape for uh, for conference play when that rolls around. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't wouldn't quite be ready to to prognosticate on where they fit in the postseason, but I think that they have a chance to make some noise. They've already played some good teams and they've improved greatly. So. I think they're a team to watch, for sure. Well, Hudson Belinsky, thank you so much for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Always great to read the stuff that you have to say on Baseball America, and it was great to get your insight this afternoon on some of these draft-eligible Terps, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up down the road. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jake. So now let's turn our attention to this week's slate of games. Jake Eisenberg alongside Justin Galanti here, 
And, well, if you're listening, it's Tuesday, as we mentioned earlier, which means that Maryland is playing William & Mary today. That one's starting at 2 o'clock, and MBN is live with Terps pregame at 1.30. So if you're listening in the morning, we'll give you a little taste about what to expect in that ball game. If you're listening later in the afternoon, well, you can tune into the game and listen to this later. Uh, but first, just to take a look at William & Mary, Justin, this is a team that was – in the NCAA tournament last year and nearly went to a Super Regional. Yeah, the Tribe made it to the regional final, the Charlottesville region, regional final last year, losing to East Carolina in the regional final. But they did beat Virginia, who was the number one seed in that grouping last year, so they had a nice year. So far this year, they're 6-4, and four, and we talked about this with Maryland a bit earlier. They've pretty much done exactly what you'd, you would expect from them. Got swept on the road against Florida, swept Lafayette at home, lost a midweek road game against Virginia, and then beat Monmouth, Dayton, and Rhode Island. They're undefeated in neutral site and home games, but they haven't won yet on the road, and obviously this series is on the road. So Virginia got a little bit of revenge last week. Now what's interesting about William & Mary is that they were at the USA Baseball Irish Classic this weekend, but they did not play Maryland, obviously. However, it did give both coaches, not just Maryland, a chance to scout the other team and really get some things kind of in place. So I guess uh, the best thing to do when we talk about this matchup is take a look at the pitching matchup that'll happen on Tuesday. And for the Terps, it'll be Hunter Parsons, who was supposed to make the start last week against James Madison, but of course that one got rained out. He, however, did make a handful of starts last year and was really, really strong, really just save for that one start against Iowa that occurred at the end of the season. But much better as a starter than a reliever last year, had an ERA under three as a starter, and he's going to go up against Aaron Fernandez, who's a uh, redshirt senior right-hander. Yeah, Fernandez actually didn't didn't pitch last year. So this year he's worked his way back. He's worked four innings, struggled in the games that he pitched against Virginia and Florida, pitched a scoreless inning against Lafayette. But he was a big-time starter for them back in the 2015 season, hit the mound nine times to start, and before that was a reliever. Missed all last year, so he's kind of working his way back. And Maryland on the other side with Hunter Parsons, someone with a lot of starting experience, they are certainly confident in him. But with William and Mary, it really comes down to the offense. They have some power hitters in their lineup, and it all starts with Cullen Large, who in seven games this season is hitting 481. He's driven in eight runs, three, walked three times, only struck out three times. And then they have some power up and down the lineup as well. Ryan Hall has two bombs. Brandon Raquette has two himself. And Charlie Amir's hit one so far this year. And so with William and Mary, it comes with the offense, and especially when you have a starter on the mound who, A, hasn't started a game this year, B, hasn't started a game since 2015. You need some runs today. Or today. Well, just a couple of corrections there. 2016, you skipped a year. But Hunter Parsons, are you talking about Aaron Fernandez or Hunter Fernandez. Parsons? Oh, see, I got confused. We got off the way. You got to take there. that back now. I got to take that back now. That's <laughs> that's on me. As I said this weekend, sometimes you miscount things, and that's okay. I, I was thinking about Hunter Parsons while you were talking about Fernandez and this William and Mary team. Glad I was entertaining and you enough to listen to me. <laughs> well, no, everyone's I, gonna listen to this podcast if you won't even listen to me. I was, I was, I was listening. I was just trying to think about, you know how the Terps match up with Fernandez and this offense that you were talking about, guys like Colin Large who have hit six doubles this season. And I think the biggest thing that the Terps have going for them in Hunter Parsons is that Parsons is a guy who very easily could be a weekend starter on pretty much any other team in the Big Ten, really even on Maryland. Um, he could easily be the, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday starter depending on you know things that happen or things that shuffle around. So 
I mean, last year was the Cal Ripken League Pitcher of the Year in the summer. So I think the Terps have the benefit of having that pitching depth and being able to essentially throw out a weekend guy against William & Mary, a regional team last year. And it should be a good home opener for Hunter, who, despite the numbers, has really pitched well this season. I mean, so far this year, he's got an ERA of 7.11 in two appearances, but all the runs that he's given up have been in innings that he's come into a game in relief of either Taylor Bloom or Cameron Ank in those two games, Louisville and LSU. So when he started an inning clean, from that point on, he hasn't allowed a run, and I think that's an important thing to make note of. Well, Parsons is certainly a luxury for Maryland to have, and a guy like Parsons is what theoretically separates a Maryland from a William & Mary, where, yes, both teams have a Friday night starter that can go out and win any game for you, but as you get deeper into the rotation, when Maryland can send Hunter Parsons to the mound, and no offense to anybody, but when William & Mary is starting someone who hasn't started this year, hasn't started since 2015, that has to be That's an Aaron advantage. That's Aaron Yes. <laughs> well, that'll be an interesting one. Hope you tune in at 2 o'clock. MBN gets underway at 1.30 with Terps pregame. And now we'll take a look at Wednesday a little bit briefly. Still don't know the starters that are announced for that game, but Maryland could potentially be 500 when they host St. Joseph's, who currently are 0-9 of the season. They have yet to win. They lost three games against Pepperdine to open the season. That was out in California. Then lost three in a tournament against Kentucky, Delaware, and Old Dominion. And then fell to Stetson, Western Michigan, and UConn. That was down in Florida. So St. Joe's Hawks are struggling a little bit to start this season. And Maryland, well, it's interesting. Who do you think is going to start this game for the Terps? Now, by the time this podcast comes out, we might have an answer. But right now, we don't. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean... You could give it to a guy like Cameron Ank who struggled this year, and when you go up against a team that's 0-9, that's when you go and get yourself right. As you mentioned earlier, this will be game five of the nine-game win streak, so that's <laughs> set already. So you know he pitches well if he pitches, but Ank has struggled this year. He's given up seven earned runs in two and a third innings. Um, but they've both. It's it, All of his innings have been in relief, though. Right, so maybe things are different when he gets his time to warm up in the bullpen gets into his routine after instead of having to get hot in the middle of the game and not necessarily knowing when he's going to come in. And you don't want to lo overlook anyone, certainly, but against a team that's 0-9, you have to think, okay, this is a good day for someone to go out there and get right on the mound. And Maryland's going to need Cameron Ank the rest of the season. Now, Cameron Ank did make one start last year that came against Delaware, at Delaware, in fact, and it was a 12-7 loss for the Terps, a bit of a slugfest, and Ank didn't fare terribly well in that game. Um, so the one start that he's had, he's struggled, although this summer he was a lot stronger. The numbers from that one start went two and two-thirds innings, allowed four runs on three hits, five runs on three hits, four of them were earned, struck out four and walked four. But this summer, you know, we keep mentioning it, had an ERA in the perfect game leave of .39. He set a perfect game leave record. So he's coming off some sort of confidence building this summer that we just haven't seen carry over yet into the spring. But I think maybe a start against a team like St. Joseph's with the offense riding the way it is, maybe providing with him early run support. Again, we don't know that he is the penciled-in starter, but if I had you know, to bet on it, that would, be, that would be where my money went. Yeah, and you just never know how a guy handles starting versus relieving. When you start a game... You know a couple days before, you get your sleep, you get your meal, you carbo-load the night before so you have the energy out on the mound, and then you can go into your routine. You know 
when the game's starting. I have to throw 16 minutes of long toss, and then I have to get in the bullpen 24 minutes and 30 seconds before the game, whatever it might be. When it's a re- when you're relieving, I mean, the starter walks two guys in the fifth. Cameron, go get up. I mean, that's not easy to do. But what was your process like? You pitched at Brandeis last year. First off, what was your carbo load? Was it was it pasta? Was it pizza? Was uh, it something we, else? We did pasta dinners did back pasta in high dinners? school. We did that. Okay. Uh, at, at Brandeis, uh, I don't think the coaches cared much for us, so we kind of had to fare for ourselves. Whatever was in the dining hall. Well, that's okay. Dining, dining hall food here is I appear pretty good. Do you think so? I haven't eaten it in two years, but they tell me. Yeah, they they went to a weird system this year. I didn't know. This is my first semester here, but <laughs> there was there, there was a whole just a little bit of a detour. Yes, here. <laughs> there, there was a whole article written and big problems that they took away the buffalo chicken wraps or something, and that caused some issues early in the year. Yeah, again, uh, not not in my realm, and we'll we'll get back to the Maryland baseball now. Moving on from St. Joseph's, Bryant coming to town this weekend. This will be the second year in a row that the Terps have taken on the Bulldogs. Last year, it was a big series win for Maryland in College Park. Won the Friday game and then won the Sunday game. And this year, Friday, Saturday, Sunday again, and it reunites Ryan Fecto with his former squad, Bryant. And, well, game one's on my birthday. That'll be a nice little present. Wow. What are you turning? 22. Okay, so your one birthday past the one where anyone cares about it. Well, I mean, I care. It's it, <laughs> The big days are 16, if you have a sweet 16, which I don't think you did, 18, 21, and 50. What about like 25 and 30 and 40? Then we'll cross that bridge <laughs> when we get to it. <laughs> yes, but Friday night should be fun. But one thing to mention is that James Karinchak might not be on the mound for Bryant. He's the ace of the staff, has been for a few years. The Bulldogs actually led the nation in regular season wins last season. And for a team from the Northeast Conference to earn a number two seed, which they did in the Charlottesville Regional, that same regional that William and Mary was in, is incredibly impressive. Uh, but without Karinchak, Bryant's a different team, and that's partly why they've struggled in the early going this season. Yeah, I mean, Karinchak last year in his start against Maryland wasn't too sharp. Gave up four runs in five and a third innings. He was outdueled by Mike Schwarn. In fact, Karinchak walked six and struck out two in that start last season in College Park, but had to leave the game against Liberty after three and two-thirds innings and left with a three and two count. So haven't officially received word on whether or not he's going to be available this weekend. I mean, for his sake, you hope that he is because he's a top prospect in this league. And I had the chance to get to know him this summer when he was up in Chatham. Just a really nice guy, and you kind of root for a guy like that. So hopefully he's able to toe the rubber for his sake against Maryland. That would be a great pitcher's duel between Karen Cech and Brian Schaefer on Friday. But you mentioned it. The Bulldogs, just a little bit of a different team when Karen Cech's not on the hill. It certainly means that they'll have to dip into their pitching reserves, and they won't be able to have that Friday, Saturday, Sunday like they had in the past couple weekends. They're 3-7, and seven, and now they're going to look at a midweek guy that's going to be pitching that Sunday game. And that makes things tough. And for Maryland, Sunday is Tyler Blome Day. He's been very good so far this season. Brian's gotten good production from its young players, Nick Angelini was the NEC Freshman of the Year last year. He's off to a good start out in center field. And then as well, you have Jimmy Titus, who was last year's Gatorade Connecticut Player of the Year. Uh, Hit two home runs and had five RBIs in their win a couple of days ago against Liberty. So they have a lot of youth. They graduated some big-time players last year. Robbie Rin got drafted, their big first baseman. So this is a young, up-and-coming team but they may have some trouble this weekend with the Terps. 
if their ace can't go. And speaking of Tyler Blome, who we just mentioned, we'll throw it over to him. We spoke with him, as you mentioned, about quite a few things. Life at Maryland, what it was like to get drafted by his favorite childhood team, and his truck back home. Tyler, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. appreciate it. Now, I think the first thing we have to get out of the way, we, we did this in Clearwater when, and when we were down there, and we had you standing next to Taylor Bloom, mm-hmm. and we got the whole name confusion out of the way. Just say it for everybody. Yep, Tyler Bloom. Now, now you told me it was Bloom like home. Yep, yeah, that's how people remember it. It's really easy <laughs> to remember that way. So, so there you go. When you're sitting at home, it's Tyler Bloom. He throws to home because he's a <laughs> Wow. There you go. That's all, that's all the mnemonic devices there. But you, it seems that you've got kind of a special relationship with Taylor Bloom. I mean, you guys refer to each other as father and son a yep. little bit. Yeah, yeah, that, I think it's something special. You know, I came in, you know, knowing we had such similar names, and I think that sort of was like the icebreaker between us, but then I think we really bonded as a whole, and like me and a couple other guys and the pitchers really bonded as a whole, and I think, you know, it's really great having a guy like him be a, like a mentor to me. What's it been like for your first three starts of the season, and even going back kind of towards the off season? what's it been like adjusting to, to Maryland? Uh, I think it's different, you know. In the fall, it was kind of weird, you know, coming in, just being a freshman and stuff, and like you're really getting used to the environment. But, uh, I mean, the guys came in with open arms and everything, and I think it's really great. I think something special about this program is there's no sort of, like, freshman to senior thing. I think everybody – it's like everybody's the same age. And I think that's a really big thing for a freshman and incoming freshman coming into here. And, like, I think that everybody is, like, treated equal and stuff, and I think that's awesome. But uh, I think the transition, you know, I made it – it was pretty tough. But, I mean, coming in with the lifts and everything, I think I did handled it well and stuff. And now coming in and pitching and stuff, I think I've handled it pretty well. On the mound, what's been the biggest adjust- adjustment from the high school game to the college game? Uh, hitters hit a lot more. Uh, <laughs> they, yeah, they, uh, they can adjust to stuff, and I think that really you know, prepares me mentally and physically to how to pitch the guys and not just be a thrower but be more of a pitcher and learn how to you know, efficiently pitch and really command my breaking ball and change up and stuff and really learn how to pitch. And what do you think? You, you know, you're a new pitcher here as a freshman. There's a new pitching coach, so you and Ryan Fecto kind of came in together with the other freshmen on the staff. What are some of the really important things you've learned from him so far? Yeah, I think he, he's I – th- I really like him as a coach in general, but uh, I think the biggest thing is he's a really positive guy, and he always seems to be relaxed. There's no tense moment with him when you're on the mound. Uh, he's a very positive guy. I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned from him is to be a po- always positive all the time. And, uh, you know, we've worked a few things with my mechanics or working on some things, and I'm uh, just hoping for a success, successful season. Now, this summer you were drafted out of high school by the Baltimore Orioles, your hometown team. What was that phone call like? Yeah, that was pretty special. Uh, I spent it with my family. We all just went out to eat one day, and uh, we weren't really expecting anything. And uh, we got a phone call, and, uh, you know, it was a very exciting phone call. My dad was very happy, my mom had some tears of joy, and, you know, there's always this one spot in the restaurant that we had back home that we'll always remember, so I think it was pretty special. What was it? So you, you weren't expecting to get a phone call on, on draft day? No, nah, I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting to go, like, at least to get a call that early, but, I mean, you know, the Orioles and I have talked. We had a little, you know, relationship and stuff. I went over to Camden Yards and stuff, but, I mean, I'm just very thankful for what they had to, you know, for them drafting me and stuff, and it just means a lot. You know, it's a great organization, and I'm just happy that I could have been drafted by them. I mean, I know you're from Severna Park, so you you know you grew up rooting for the Baltimore Orioles. Yep. So, I guess you know when your when your name is called by them, do you think back to you know those pitchers that you've watched growing up? Yep, yeah, that just makes it even more special. And uh, even after I was drafted, I got to pitch uh, in an All Star game at uh, Oriole Park, and I think that made it even more special, made it even more surreal. 
you know, going to pitch as the team that got that drafted me, and I think it was it was just an awesome summer and an awesome experience. So you've now thrown a pitch off the same mound that your head coach has. Yep. You know that, right? Yeah. Because he threw out a first pitch there yep. last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. But I guess then, you know, you had to go into a decision process about whether you're going to go, you know, play professionally with the Orioles or, or come to Maryland. So what was that like? Yeah, that was that was probably the hardest decision I've had in my life because, you know, you come out as an 18-year-old and you're really thinking, you know, what am I going to do with my life? You're t- suddenly always, like, just starting to grow up right then and there. And uh, I think, you know, Coach Chef really had a great thing with me. He uh, he came to every game that I started and stuff and really followed me, almost gave me phone calls every day. So I think, you know, with that decision, I think he really, you know, helped me make a decision to go to Maryland. With your family, who were the most important people in helping you make that kind of decision? Not a lot of 18-year-olds, not a lot of people in their lives have any opportunity to get drafted, maybe try and go play professional baseball. So as great as things are going here it must have been a very tough decision yeah it was very tough you know we had to we talked about it every day every night and uh you know had a big family meeting every night and I weighed out the pros and cons and stuff and I think ultimately you know they left the decision up to me and I ultimately decided that I think Maryland would be the best fit for development and everything so the, the whole point of this podcast as as we've told your teammates in the past is to kind of get to know the man behind the uniform mm-hmm. uh, I guess for you it's the man behind the curveball um, which was working really well yesterday down in North Carolina. But what are some things that people might not know about Tyler Bloom just by by looking at him? You know, what kind of music you listen to on the bus? Jeez, I mean, I'm a big I'm a big <laughs> hip hop and rap guy. I like the beats and everything. I like something that with the bass that gets me going. You know, in my car at home, I have subs that are installed, so I get the big maximum bass going on. So whenever people are driving next to me, they can hear me in the car. <laughs> so if you were putting together like a playlist, who's at the top? Uh, I'd say Drake. Okay. Yeah. All right. Not from Drake and Josh. The, the no, Drake no, no. Now? The, 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 yeah, yeah. The now Drake. <laughs> now, so I, I don't know if you know Marty Costas makes his own music. You ever oh yeah, yeah. Stuff? I've been in his room a few times and I've heard him putting together some mixtapes and meet <laughs> up with him. <laughs> so lefties, left pitchers have a reputation as being kind of quirky guys. Yep. Have some things to him. Do you have anything like that? Uh, I mean, I I'll give myself I'm a bit of a quirky guy. I'd say you know a tall, <laughs> lanky guy. I mean, I'm bound to have some some falls around there. Um, but I mean, I try to keep myself together, you know, try to walk with, you know, confidence and stuff. But I mean, I, I think I'm just like the other left-handers. Speaking, I mean, you talk about Maryland left-handers and then you got Eric Milton who came here in the early nineties mm-hmm. and of course threw no hitter in the major leagues. And now he listens to the broadcast, which is, which is pretty cool. Yep. Have you been in touch with him at all? Yeah. You know, he's been one of my, he's been one of the great guys that I've got to meet in my life. Uh, he's been a really big help. He's helped with my mechanics and even, with uh, in high school ball, I'd meet up with him, and we'd always pitch all the time together. And he'd long toss with me, and he could throw the ball just as far as I could. He's in just in good shape as I am. And uh, you know, we're good family friends. We get to watch film together, and you know, do exercises together. And I th- I'm very thankful that I have a guy like him to work with me. So is he going to take your spot as the Sunday starter? <laughs> he might. You know, I think he's still got it in him. He's got it in to be a Friday guy. <laughs> oh, he's still the head coach at Severna Park, and that's probably yep. right around where you are. Yep, exactly. That's why I get to meet with him a bunch. Speaking of being the Sunday starter, what does it mean to you that the coaching staff has had the confidence in you to already get three starts as a freshman on the weekends? Yeah, I'm just I'm just very thankful to be in that position. Um, I'm not taking anything for granted. You know, I'm working even harder after every start to be better and to keep that spot. What's been kind of the – the progression for you, you know, first start coming against Alabama State, first career win, second start coming against LSU in that kind of mm-hmm. environment, and then yesterday against Dayton, I guess, which one has been your favorite? Which one has been the hardest, and where have you surprised yourself? Yeah, I mean, coming in, I wasn't that nervous going into the first game, um, but, like, when I first stepped on the mound, you know, I just kind of took a big deep breath to let it all sink in, but, I mean, I think 
my favorite, even though you wouldn't think, was LSU. I mean, that was just an awesome experience, you know, looking around and getting to see all the fans and stuff, the stadium that we played in, and just a great team like that. I think that was the most fun. I mean, that was a great team, great stadium and stuff, and I had a lot of fun there. I, I had a lot of fun, too. It was, yeah. it I was, would have had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the nicest press box that I think that I've been in so yeah. far this year. I mean, you saw me yesterday. I was literally right behind home plate. Yeah. I mean, could you hear me from the mound? Uh, I wouldn't say from the mound. You know, I don't really hear. I don't really hear much when I'm on the mound. You know, I sort of block everything out. I'm in my own little world in the mound. Uh, but I mean, on the bench, I could hear a little, little flashes. Of, yeah, yeah. How do we? How do we sound? We sound good. I mean, I heard, right. yeah, right. some, like on a hit or everything. I hear you raise your voice and stuff. You're doing a good job. All right. Well, we'll keep it going. And, you know, Justin will do well tomorrow. I'm yep, sure. I'll He's going to call for yeah. William and Mary. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Um, but yesterday, you had to warm up twice mm-hmm. because the umpires weren't on time. What's the what's the biggest challenge in that? Because Chef spoke about it post game how that's really difficult, especially for a young pitcher like you. Yeah, I think that was very difficult. But I mean, you just got to block it out. I mean, you know, knowing that that game's going to be pushed back, you can't already have negative thoughts going into your game, going into your mind before the game. And I think I just had to stay positive. You know, if anything, think of it as another time to get warmed up and another time to like, you know, if I have a, if I were to have a bad first inning, it would have been in the bullpen. Uh, just sort of stay positive and like not let any negative thoughts get into you. So, so far this season, you've started a game in Florida, North Carolina, and Louisiana. How much are you looking forward to this weekend and making your home debut here in Maryland? Yeah, I didn't really think about that, but uh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, we asked the tough questions. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really think about that, but uh, but yeah, I'm excited to be back in College Park. You know, I think that's what we need. We've always we've gone into other people's places and gone into different road games, but I think going back to College Park and having games this week and this weekend will be awesome for our team. You know, just give us a sense of home and really, uh, you know, bring out the best in us. Well, as we wrap up our conversation here with the freshman lefty Tyler Blom, I guess what are your what are your final words on this edition of the podcast? What do you want people to know about you? Jeez, I mean, <laughs> that's hard putting to you say. on the spot. Yeah, I know. Um. Jeez, uh, I just want to shout out my grandpa. He's always listening to these uh, these podcasts and stuff. He's a big six foot ten guy. Uh, he oh, played, wow. ba- yeah, he played basketball. That's where I get some of my height from. Uh, I didn't capture any of the basketball ability. Don't see me on the courts. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to shout out him. He's always listening to the podcast and stuff, and wants to say thanks to him. And he's from Long Island, right? Yep, yeah, that's correct. Shout out to Long Island. I'm yeah. from there as well. There you go. Yeah, I learned that yesterday. <laughs> well, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Looking forward to seeing you pitch this weekend and and the rest of the way. Yep, thank you. Go Terps. So that'll do it for this episode of the MBN Podcast. Thanks for listening. Justin, any final thoughts? Well, in the words of Tyler Blome, go Terps. Go Terps indeed. Maryland facing William & Mary on Tuesday at 2 o'clock, and we'll be live at 1.30. Then the Terps face St. Joseph's on Wednesday at 4 o'clock, and we'll get started with Terps pregame at 3.30. Finally this weekend, Maryland hosts Bryant for a three-game series. First pitch on Friday is at 6.30, 2 o'clock on Saturday, and 1 o'clock on Sunday with Terps pregame beginning, as always, 30 minutes before first pitch. Hope you'll join us. Special thanks to Hudson Belinsky from Baseball America and Tyler Blom for joining us on this episode. You can follow MBN on Twitter at MDBaseballNet and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. Also, if you like what you heard this time around, feel free to subscribe to the podcast. Just search Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. So for Justin Galanti, I'm Jake Eisenberg. So long, everybody. <laughs>